And Jeff, we're probably live. Give it a minute. Just in case you're joining us. Um, welcome. Okay, the Eye in the Sky is open. And Jeff, we're talking about Star Trek D Space Nine, Season 2, Episode 1, The Homecoming from 1993. Uh, as we enter the second season. Jeff, have you enjoyed the off-season between seasons here? Uh, here on Live Long and Podcast as we cover this uh, this D Space Nine show. Our three and a half year journey, we're moving into the next phase. And, and how are you feeling about uh, this 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 uh, gap between seasons? Um, I'm feeling fine. It's not like we took any time off at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like we but, took none off at all. It's just like that. Right. Uh, it, it's a, yeah, it's definitely going to be an interesting slog here through the second season, which is maybe the the weakest season that, of of the seven seasons. But what do you mean Lee Nallis? Yes, Frank Langella. Frank Langella doing, as Minister Jaro. He's doing Frank Langella things. Skeletor. Skeletor. Richard <laughs> Nixon. He, he is, he's, he's, you know, this is the kind of the thing, this is why people hate the Bajorans, is, is, is characters like Langella that just comes in and just like, oh, I'm going to just shake things up and, you know, for no apparent reason whatsoever, other than there's like a rogue group going on the circle, uh, you know, so I, I, I enjoyed this, the episode just fine, but was it a good one? I mean, not really. I mean, it's okay. It's not. It's probably <laughs> might be one of the weakest season premieres I've seen Star Trek do. You know, uh, it, it's not a great episode, but it it's serviceable. There's some good things in it. Cisco drives me nuts in this episode a little bit. I don't know about you, but I f- I feel like he's very like quick to just like um kind of. Uh, justify anything that's going on. Like at first he's questioning, and then he's just like Dax, just like you know, you know, gives him one repertoire comment, and he goes, "Yeah, you're right." And then kind of <laughs> just goes, "Yeah, go go into that prisoner war camp. Go get that guy. Uh, I don't care if your story's a lie. You know, I don't care if you shot a guy in his underwear. You know, uh, I think you're a symbol, and Bajor needs a symbol, even if the symbol's a lie. You know, it's just like everything is kind of like, come on." You know, <laughs> yeah, I'd say largely Cisco is ineffectual in this episode. I would agree with you, and uh, I don't disagree that this is not a a terrific premiere, although it has some action in it and some fun stuff. Um, but just like in terms of this cast being coming in for a, like their next season, compared to even other shows, the other the other Star Trek shows of even of its time, um, a little bit um, calm and cool coming into it. A little bit. What do you mean? Yeah. Well, just like it, you know, it's just like, hey, it's just another day at the station. It doesn't feel like any time really has gone by at all. That's what I was kind of referencing. It's like, oh, we were just, we had those few months off. But Jeff, this this aired in September of 1993, and mm-hmm. the you know they, they obviously they started airing in January of that year. So even though it's the second season, to them it probably doesn't really feel like that. They've probably been at this for a while. I think it's the first and the second season are just one giant big season. Right? Right. In a lot of ways. And that's why I think this doesn't feel necessarily like a second season, although we consider it the second season premiere. Or it is it is considered to be the second season premiere. 
But compared to even all the other seasons of Deep Space Nine, which definitely after this, everything will have very much of a of a of a welcome to this season of the show, right? Like yeah. season three has, very much has that season. All all the seasons after this do. They mm -hmm. have to because they're especially as the narrative gets starts to get uh, ramped up, um, and and obviously the premiere of the whole series Emissary it really holds up as a as a show that uh that like sets the whole thing in motion it does it's still you know when you can look at it beginning to end the whole thing is great this is probably the weakest of the bunch if you can consider it any kind of a premiere it's easily the worst it doesn't feel like a premiere mm -hmm. you know it really doesn't it feels like just like like this should have been the these next three episodes one two and three of season two probably should have been like their finale of season one that's kind of what it, like probably was originally intended to do, but then they, because they only had twenty episodes in the first season, and then everything else is like what twenty six or is that what they do? Yeah, they have about twenty six after that every. Yeah, so their first season is a shorter one comparatively, and like yeah, I think to that your point, like they had set up the characters in season one. They're like okay, and this is part one of three, Jeff. Like we we haven't yeah. even really touched on that. That this is we're not done this story yet, but here we're set up with a whole bunch of new characters. We're set up with this circle storyline, which focuses on uh, these Bazaaran radicals who are kind of the uh, they're they're extremists. They're 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 hate mongers. They they don't like non Bajorans because well, they have not had a great experience under the Cardassians uh, quite quite uh, clearly, and so they're even rejecting the Federation and anybody else. And so they they even they brand Quark in this episode. Right on the forehead, he's he's a victim of a hate crime. Right, and Bashir has to clean him up as long as Quark stops moving because he's a squirmy little bastard. They're not very compassionate to his uh, victim, like how he's been victimized here. No, they don't care about Quark at all. They don't seem to like. <laughs> they don't seem to. He's not their friend yet, and um, you know, there's again a lot of Odo Quark. Hey, what are you doing? And uh. You know, I investigated that freighter, and I found out that you were right. And but I'm not done with you yet, Quark. Yeah, that you know, scene, that Odo and Quark, that opens this episode, is the closest thing to some version of oh, "Hey, we're here to season two, which is like, are Odo and Quark gonna be friends? Will they? Won't they? That's I think pretty much established right in the next scene where we get like Kira and Quark, and she's like, she still very much doesn't like him. And it's like, no, I think Quark is definitely up to things. But she gets the earring, which sets this whole episode and this whole arc in motion, which is Lee Nallis, who was the great hero of the Bajoran resistance like 15 years ago or something like that or over 10 years ago, right? Right. He, yeah, he accidentally killed Gull Zorail, who was a mass murderer who killed at least six villages. Villages! Killed him in his underwear. Killed him in his underwear, did, unarmed, while he was yeah. bathing. He was quite embarrassed. He said that was funny. Like the, the, the actor who plays Lee Nellis, like I like him, and I like his performance. Uh, but I think that this the story is not necessarily the most compelling, just by its nature. But I think it's it's kind of the natural thing you would do because that isn't that what this whole mission of D Space Nine and what Cisco's mission early on is to get Bajor into the Federation. And so all of this, I think, has is uh, setting up that you have to earn that, and you have to go through this like other all this other stuff first. Yeah, what do we think about the scene with Jake trying to convince Cisco 
to go to the hall decks with a girl or go to his quarters with a girl and Cisco kind of like, you know, shutting them down at every, every angle. And, and then that's when Kira approaches and is like, I need to talk to you. And, you know, he does the right thing. He's like one moment major, but like at the same time, like, the, you know, Jake's not going to like, kind of like Cisco doesn't take no for an answer. And kind of like, he's like, all right, you're busy, sweet. And goes about his day. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. He's like, he's lucky that his dad is the commander of the station. It always has somebody calling him about something probably. And he can kind of, you know, do his own thing a lot. Um, yeah. I just, th- I thought that, um, I, I don't know if uh, Cisco, Ben Cisco in particular looks great in this scene. I get Jake more, but I guess he's doing the right things. He's giving him like good direction, but it's, um, they're not necessary. I don't know. It's just it's parenting by numbers. It's like you know. It's it's like the it's like you know. That's what you should do, and that's what you should say. And you know, most of it, but some of it just you know, I just it doesn't feel right for some reason. I can't. I I just don't connect with it the way I should, and I don't know I why. Like, I feel like Jake is also like he just seems like a little young, and I guess that's why like Cisco's acting that way. That's what the writers probably felt too. So that's why they kind of want that angle. Like, hey, you're too young to like take a girl to the Hall of Suites, or you're too young to like take a girl to your quarters. And we just want to talk. And he's like, oh, I want to watch the wormhole, and that's boring. He says he's like, since when? You know, like stuff like that. That's kind of how it was written. Um, it's just uh, nothing, nothing dazzling. Yeah, that's for sure. It's very much like okay, all right, cool, all right, moving on, you know, like yeah. that's and that, this is the premiere, you know, so like it, it's I understand why people don't like the early Deep Space Nine stuff because this is what they were doing a lot of the time, you know, they were just like just just kind of you know it was boring, it was a little boring, you know. Yeah, like, go get Lee Nellis from Cardassia Four, Jeff and uh, Kira and O'Brien are going to dress up and they're going to take their uniforms off and they're going to, you know, like that tough civilian clothing that they're wearing or whatever it is. I'm not quite sure right. what to make a Kira's deal, but um, right. she's wearing like a fishnet. Fishnet like wool like, sweater? It's not even a sweater. It's like a ha- halfsies. It's like it doesn't even cover, it wouldn't even cover a belly button. Yeah, no, Brian's wearing some kind of like I don't know, uh, it looks like it's made of very thin leather or it's uh, some kind of uh, some sort of suede suede perhaps i don't know what he's wearing but it's he, he's wearing it, blue, he's wearing like a regular blue t-shirt underneath that though like, and he's got that know? serious guy look on his face like we're about to go into it she's like we may not come back from this we're getting lean alice or not and she's like whatever yeah. and she's like great we don't need to talk the rest of the way and the audience is just going you're coming back from this <laughs> like this is not serious enough yeah. you know like yeah, lean Jeff- alice what did you think of um, the whole scene where oh you know she's playing the hooker basically to get into the prison camp to get out Lee Nellis? Uh, like and and well, and well, Brian was playing the oh I could sell her for two strips of latinum and this Cardassian is just like oh come closer like does this happen a lot here on Cardassia Four where like a human and a Bajoran would just show up at your at your front door? I was most surprised that they didn't make O'Brien look like a Bajoran. Yeah, or that they didn't put some kind of makeup on, or that they, you know, it was just like we're gonna mask. I get that they masked their ship, so that, that because if you're not in visual range, he was able to fool the sensors to make them look like a Lesepian transport. Um, which I meant, which we've got to mention, which was a great. I thought it looked 
a great scene with like where they have to call that guy and they're like, no, we're good. And he's like, well, we can send a repair ship. And he's like, they want right. to send a repair ship. And they want to help us. <laughs> they want to help us. That was actually, I liked that a lot. Uh, I thought that they did that. Okay. Because it's, it was like had echoes of like undiscovered country in a little bit. Like when they were calling when the uh, Klingon yeah. guys were calling. Yeah. Like, I had no, like the, the mission part was actually maybe the only good part of the episode. Uh, I thought I felt like, like you know, but at the same time, it's kind of like I don't know, kind of silly. Like uh, you know, like they're they're breaking into this prison of war camp. Once they find this prison of war camp, why does it have to be like a like 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 they say earlier? Like Dax says to Cisco, like, hey, they were supposed to have released all their Bajoran prisoners. So once they find this prison of war camp, shouldn't they kind of like? do this through the diplomatic channels and like figure this out in a way that wouldn't start a war. Like it doesn't seem smart. Yeah. I have that in my notes here. Dax was right. Cause Dax is not very in this a lot. She shows up basically to convince Cisco early on to let Kira go on this mission. And then later on, well, she's like, well, what happens if I start a war? Right? Because the Bajorans don't want to start a war. So why would I want to start a war with the, with the Federation? I see he's like, She's like, well, chances are they you will find this thing, and if they if you if you do, then they're gonna have to apologize, and that's exactly what happens, right? Gold Ducat shows up in this episode afterwards, and right, but she only saves like the one guy, and there's a bunch of other Bajoran prisoners, you know. You get a few of them out. There's like a few that stay behind to like fight off the Cardassians. Right, right, but like it just seems like a it would have been a lot more Starfleet to have figured this out in a way that wasn't like breaking them out you know like now easy for me to say i guess it might have been in their mind the only way to do it but you know the simple fact of attacking the Cardassians could have started a war even like dax is right but they could have ignored that and said hey you attacked us you know yeah well you invaded our space right you you came into our territory you exactly like you, you know, you shot crap. our guys, whatever. But they are whole. Yeah, it didn't look like a fun place to live. That uh, that prison camp, Jeff. No, this is one of the one of many instances where Deep Space Nine goes to the most unattractive looking set, uh, you know, outdoor set, and and films. I'm guessing this is in like Yosemite or something. Like is where they. What were they doing the- there? What was the labor involved? They were just like they were like hammering at little rocks with like little hammers or something or putting them in buckets putting pebbles in buckets i don't know what they were doing but they had like the <laughs> lost like force field set up you know it wasn't a sonic force field but it was you know had the same kind of pylons that uh they have lost yeah that was fun. like kicks him and go get back to work what was the work jeff i don't know what the work was. i think it was just to you know work them to death i don't know like, <laughs> why not just kill them you know, i don't like, know uh, i don't understand what happens at labor camps i don't quite understand them in terms of what the labor is like if, like if you tell me it's like oh we're making we're, we're mining things maybe i would get that i guess that that's what we're supposed to be led to believe but it's always quite ambiguous um i also noticed that jeff that in the phaser fights when they were fight getting them out that it looked a lot like this phaser like they were it was definitely like that phaser. Yeah. It looked exactly like this one. It was really good. Yep. Um, uh, yeah. so then they bring him back to the station here, and uh, that's when Bashir and he has an assistant for once. Usually Bashir does everything by himself. 
What do you actually? It was the premiere. They had a little bit more money. You can have an assistant now, but sure. You're allowed to yeah. be a nurse. Yeah, I, I was surprised they never ever had like a nurse character on this show, because you think like like Bashir would have more of like a hospital type setup. He has to deal with a lot more people and a lot. Most of the doctors have a nurse character, right? Yeah, exactly. Most, like not flocks, but and and not the image. Well, no, he's got Kess. I'd say Kess at least first half she of the become, show. She becomes the nurse, and then Tom Paris progressively does it whenever he has to. Yeah, after uh, I'd say after Kess is gone, it's it, well. What, what is Kess doing otherwise? Nothing. That's why I mean, literally, <laughs> it's like stuck in Neelix's dick. That's about all. No, Kess. she broke up with him, and then you know she was <laughs> she was she was looking at a new horizon. She was. Yeah, she just even, turned three. She was looking at you know she was turning on three and it's looking good. Everything about Kess is creepy. I mean, <laughs> the fact that her life is like seven years old. Yeah, it lives on nine. But hey, it's not. You know, let's not get into not, Kess. <laughs> Nobody wants to talk about Kess. No, Kess is a Brungosa Nangara. Okay, so Deep Space Nine. So yeah, so like we mentioned, Frank Langella in this episode. Um, I don't know the name of the guy who was playing Lee Nallis, but I know I, I can't get Lee Nallis out of my head now. Um, so they have this whole circle plot line. Um, why did okay when they were branding Quark, Jeff? How come there's because Odo says, "Well, there's no, there's no uh, uh, people on the promenade at this hour, and you know nobody saw anything." And I'm like, "Why are there no security cameras?" That's a thing that seems to be the case throughout the Deep Space Nine show. Things happen on the station, and they have no footage of it. You know, they don't seem to have security cameras. Cardassians don't believe in security cameras. I don't know. And I even just, if that's the case, the Federation can't bring in like sort of a supplementary, like, you know, like, hey, we're going to bring in some. There's always some excuse, like, no, our Federation technology can't interface with this Cardassian stuff or something. But, yeah, but like, do they have video cameras like on the Enterprise? I, I they think do. so. They do in, like, I feel like they do in the cargo bays, but like, that's it. <laughs> you know, like, like, shouldn't they be in, like, every corridor? I don't know. Like, that's what we have today. Or maybe they've had some kind of social progress, Jeff, where they said, no, we're not going to have cameras everywhere. We've decided we want privacy. Even though you can scan for life signs, you have tricorders. Like, I don't understand how there's a lot of privacy in this in this age, but... So sure. the guy that plays Lee Nallis, Dave, yeah. is, from, is, is from West Side Story. He played Tony in West Side Story. Ooh, and he was also... And he was also in Twin Peaks right before this. He played Benjamin Horn. He was hot. Horn, they got okay. We got a hot actor. He's coming right out of Twin Peaks. This guy was in West Side Story. Deep Space Nine season two is going to excite people. We're going to have this great Bajoran uh, plotline. You, Mister, are Lee Nallis, and you are going to be the hero that's going to go against the evil Frank Langella's Minister Jaro. Um, yeah, you like, I think you like the character I, of Minister Jaro. Frank Langella's character? Yes. yes. No, he's awful. I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, he just seems like he he reminds me a lot of um, Kai Wen, who we had the episode before. Yeah, and, and then they team up. Know, I think later on in the season, right? That's gonna happen. I think so. I think so because they're both so awful that they're like, let's bring. They're our both awful like to- obviously evil. Yes. Like anybody yeah. with a clue should be able to tell that these two are have are, are somewhat malevolent, and you should keep your eye on them. 
And like Kira even says it early in the episode, he's, he's like, you can't trust the political bureaucrats. All they care about is their power and all this kind of stuff, right? And then like the whole episode is all about like how like Cisco is trying to like make sure that Lee Nala stays around and doesn't sneak out to the Gamma Quadrant because Bajor needs him, you know, needs him. You know, like the, the I'm very confused about what Bajor needs, what Bajor wants, what Bajor is. It seems like just a bunch of power hungry psychos that <laughs> will do whatever they need to do to to influence what's going on, not only on the station, but on Bajor with kind of Cardassians, whether or not they join the Federation, whether or not they believe in the prophets and all this kind of nonsense. Like everything what goes on with Bajor is kind of like messy as far as the writing goes, I feel like. Well, yeah. And I don't think it's very, I think it's very frustrating because you're like, well, this is, I understand that there's conflict in story where the conflict doesn't seem to have any like uh, weight to it or any kind of like, you know, merit, it, you know, other than maybe you have some xenophobic elements, which are pretty like one dimensional, I think. You know, like, ah, oh, Bajorans are just angry at all non-Bajorans. Okay, well, then I don't know what to tell you. Like, then you're on your own. But every, the Bajorans know that they'll that um, that they'll be invaded by Cardassia, likely, if the Federation does not have a presence there. So oh, there's... Right. Yes, for sure. Um, did you believe the scene with Bashir and Lee Nallis when he's, like, fixing them up once they bring him back to the station where he's like, oh, I'm a quite a student of history and uh, i heard about your your conquests and uh, you're quite impressive and he's trying to ask him about all uh, everything that happened with he not lee now see now turns him down i didn't buy that i was like fucking bashir doesn't know about bajoran history give me a fucking break you know like the, every time they give bashir, he, reads. he reads he's bashir he doesn't, you know, yes but yes he does but he all he reads about like scientific stuff and he will bore people to death with jargon. Uh, that's his whole thing, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I think I feel like they just gave him that scene because, like, we need to give Bashir something to do. Which I do think at least Bashir is starting to be less annoying. You know, it's getting a little better. It's a little more tolerable in this episode. Yeah, they literally shoot uh, Lee Nellis in the back when he's escaping from the prison camp, just so that so Bashir can go like on his like back and go, hey. I read about you. I, you know, I, I've been. What else does Bashir have to do? I guess he helps people at the infirmary. I don't know how busy his his practice is. He's got three hundred people on the station. Plus, you know, he's 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 always like a uh, he's got to treat all these different species, right? Coming through, he's got to treat the human. He's got to treat a Vulcan. He's got to treat a Bajor, and he's got to treat a Changeling. Whatever. It's he's got a lot going on. And um, but other than that, you know, he seems to just bore people to death. So I. Remember when, like, when we said, like, a couple episodes in duet, when, uh, when Eamon uh, Maritza was was murdered. You know, they don't even call Bashir, like, to see if maybe they can save him from this stab wound. No, he was dead. <laughs> they didn't have enough time left in that episode to do that. Not, yeah, I know. It was like it was based on it was what the show needed, not what like made sense in the story. Because call the doctor, and even if someone like ran away, and then. You just like faded to black, like oh, the doctor never made it in time or whatever. Like clearly, that was the end. How does Nikira never able to sniff out these Bajorans that have alternative motives until it happens? She's very you know, naive about her own her own people. It seems like yeah, at first 
she at least comes around and like when she judges people by their actions uh but but at the same time like yeah she's very trusting at first for sure of her own people well she's always been critical right like she's always been always always been critical of um the Bajoran provisional government right in the pilot she says don't ask my opinion next time you know like she's she doesn't she's she's like this thing's barely holding together she doesn't like the federation Mm-hmm. You, she can kind of like so. She kind of sets up these feelings that the circle is definitely, um, like you know, def- bringing down to a more point. You know, that's that's a more directed uh, hate um, towards everybody else. But she's come a long way. She like that's her arc, right? Is that like oh, she's friends with Dax now and all these other, and O'Brien and Cisco, and she's she's learned to kind of respect command and, but not the government. But she like respects Cisco and 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 her religion and and things like that and she understands that like you know like people like vedic win are corrupt and so um i guess this is just the next logical step it just feels a bit um painful that you know like okay we got we got jaro and then they're gonna team up and like i we're gonna see if it's satisfying when we get to it because as i recall like you know it gets pretty tense down the down the stretch right i have a question for you and whether or not you think this was a debate that they had within the writer's room because I watched recently the episode, I think it was in season five, uh, the episode with Cisco where he's, uh, he's, I think it's called the Rapture or whatever. He's trying to figure out the big obelisk. And and this is right before he's having all these visions and, uh, Bajor is about to join the Federation. Right. And, do you think they argued around this time in season two? Like, Hey, maybe like after this, the Nala storyline, should we have Bajor join the Federation and then they could just kind of amalgamate everything and Kira could wear the uniform? Or do you think they always thought, okay, now we're going to keep Kira in the Bajoran, you know, area and then we can do the Bajor stuff with her whenever we want. Do you think they ever thought about that and just, we're, we're going to make Kira the first officer and give her command and like, or do you think they, they, they could never do that because they have to keep her the first officer like, what do you think? They, do you think they argued about that? Or do you think there like, was like... Okay, like, so if they're saying, like, hypothetically, if Avery Brooks walks off the set and we don't have... Or, you know, he says, I won't do this show anymore and we have to figure out what to do. Do you make Kira, like, a captain or do you promote her or whatever? Or yeah, do you, you bring in a Starfleet auto- officer or something like that? Yeah, do you automatically make, like, Kira a lieutenant commander and make her the first officer or whatever? You know, uh, that's yeah. probably what would have happened because um, Babylon Five. That's exactly what happened, and most things with DC Nine Babylon Five were like if they have some similarity, because they lost their commander. Like that guy left, um, and then Bruce Boxleitner came in, and you know, so there was kind of this interesting dynamic with like, okay, like we we know these characters in the first season, but the commander's gone. Now there's this new captain, new lead of the show, and he's reacting to all the characters and. So that was kind of fun. So I think that they, because they talked about doing that with Riker and Picard, because they didn't know if like, they were going to keep Patrick Stewart for all those years either. Sure, uh, sure. There was always like, there was always tension, like we're going to fire this guy because of contracts. We saw like, you know, that different characters leave, like that, you know, uh, Tashiar, like Denise Crosby being the most famous example of that. Like if the if the writers and producers have enough of your shit, like they're like, see you later. Like we'll we'll move on. Uh, a captain's a pretty drastic change, though. But right. I'm not saying they would have got rid of Cisco at all. I'm more talking about 
whether or not they would have made Kira a Starfleet person and made Bajor part of Starfleet for part of the Federation and like ever changed her. If they ever were, I I just wonder if they ever argued about like changing her look from being away from Bajor. That's not a question for you, maybe necessarily. It's a good good question Question for for them. What what they thought, like, I don't know. I can only speculate because like, I know that we know like in season seven that uh, she'll be put in the Starfleet uniform. Um, and I liked that. I wish they just and and then but 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 then at the end she's back in the Bajoran uniform by the end. So right. I always kind of wish she would have been more integrated with them. But I always kind of like did like that they she had this outsider aspect to her. And this whole episode also you know is the cliffhanger, Jeff, it, on this part one of part of the three parter. Right. It, uh, is that she's being removed? She's being reassigned, and Lean Alice, who has a new title called Navic. It's not not yeah, like a general. Made, made it's it's above a general. I mean, I would imagine or something like they that. They made right? up like literally. Lee now says that they made up a bullshit title for me, you know, because it had, they I was too special in their eyes to not have yeah. a bullshit title. <laughs> and, and, and this is the thing. Like, this is why I bring it up because at any moment they could just be like, "Yeah, Bajor wants you back. See you later, Nana Visitor." You know, like at any moment that could have happened on this show. And Cisco couldn't do anything about that decision, and, and and it just doesn't seem like that that's his first officer, and he doesn't have control over like where she goes or what she does. You know, well, and, I think that the Bajoran government has a certain level of autonomy as well. I think that's what we're that's the conflict here, right? That right. that's what's which I think that's what they're trying to show is why it's harder for Cisco than it is for Picard mm-hmm. in terms of dealing with his even his own personnel. Yeah, for sure. He has a lot more politics to deal with, but like, uh, Cisco is also like the emissary, so he has like this like special in with Bajor as well. And he, he he you would think he would have a lot more influence over the Bajoran people than like the 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 political authority or whatever. Yeah, for some reason he has way more of that later on. Yes, but but not at this point in the show. Like you know, and it, I don't understand how he gets it or why he goes from. Like like uh, Minister Jaro doesn't treat him special. No, he's and he wears the earring. He seems to be religious. You know, he doesn't go emissary. How you doing, man? Um, well, he wouldn't say that. He's a, he goes. He calls him commander. All right. that kind of thing. I don't know. Um, what else is there to say? Okay, all the speeches at the the there's okay the whole scene with um. Lee Nallis, though, and Cisco in the office. Do you think that that was good? Like when Lee Nallis tells the story? I think it's performed well by the guy who played uh, Lee Nallis. Do you think that Avery Brooks is good in that scene? Not particularly, no. I think his, and it's not that necessarily his performance or his, is bad. I just don't get Cisco. Like, I don't understand. <sighs> Like, like he's basically trying to tell this guy, "Hey, you need to do this because these people need you." And he's like, "I don't want to do it. It's a bullshit. You know, it's all yeah. It, it, Let me live my it, own life. What about free yeah. will and freedom and yeah, ahead. yeah." Like Cisco bothers me. It, there's also the scene with Jake where Jake can't isn't allowed to like date the Bajoran girl anymore, and like Cisco oh, yeah. comes, and he and he says like, "Hey, I'm sorry. Like you're a victim of." the circumstances or going on you don't deserve this he says the right thing 
but he says it in a way where it's like he doesn't care you know in a way <laughs> like like in a way he's saying it like 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 i he has a soft spot for the bajoran bureaucracy the religion everything that's going on with bajor patience he has a patience with them maybe that, that's the right may, that like i don't like maybe that's uh it's almost it's almost infuriating because you're like because we know that Cisco has this temper, anger, fierceness to it, mm-hmm. but with with the Bajorans, he 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 doesn't have that. He's just yep. he's happy, go lucky. He's it's all hey. good, man. It's all good. It's all zen. He turns into like a space hippie, <laughs> and, and and it's just like this isn't you, Cisco. Like, can you get a little bit angry once when it comes to Bajoran people? He's like, no, can't do it. Can't do you it. Know? Gotta be nice. They won't come. They won't join the Federation if I mean to them. So I you know, always, Mister Nice Guy. Always good cop. Never bad he's, cop. He's always good cop, and it's annoying. I want bad cops to go when it comes to the Bajoran people sometimes. But I get why he doesn't do it. But at the same time, could he like throw something across the room when the guy leaves, or just show me that he? <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I just want some sort of like angst out of him. But he's like super patient and like. He's like that with Jake too. He's the, the same amount of patience, um, mm-hmm. and and like I feel like Jake, where it's just like stupid Bajorans, you know? And, yeah, you know, yeah. Well, like I mean? a little bit, yeah. Like yeah, Jake is sort of very meta in that way. Where he's like, "This is dumb. These people are dumb," and we're like, "See, the kid knows. Kid's the smartest guy in the show. He's the smart. You know, he's the main character for a reason. This is why. This is, this is the second episode in a row, Dave, where <laughs> I'm fighting with a 14 year old over the captain of the show. Last episode, it was about the Bajoran people trying to tell tell Keiko how to teach science to children and right. teach it from a religious perspective. And Cisco did not back Keiko up one iota. Kira did not back up Keiko one iota. You know, but Jake had enough sense to know this is bullshit, and he's the one getting taught. You know. So like 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 this is the type of stuff where, where in the early season one and season two like deep D Space Nine where I just roll my eyes and just go like this is stupid, you he know says, like Cisco says Bajor doesn't need a man it needs a symbol and that's what I'm you like, are no one's asking you to lead troops into battle or kill a hundred Cardassians with your bare hands I saw you in front of the crowd on the promenade they look at you and see strength and honor and decency they look at you and see the best in themselves. And he goes, it's all a lie. He goes, no, it's a legend. Yeah, so he wants just, to, it's propaganda. He, it's propaganda, and he's he's just he's just he's doing it to serve his own interests. Like he even says to Kira, "I need you to go get Linels because it's going to benefit me when he's on Bajor." It ends up backfiring, which kind of makes makes me laugh. But at the end of the episode, when Kira gets you know Frank Langella does his Frank Langella stuff and sends Kira off the station, but anyway. Yeah, everything with what's going on with Cisco, it's just like, dude, like, I don't get you. Like, I, I mean, like, I, I just don't understand where he's coming from as the emissary, as like, and I feel like the Admiral in like, that same episode I'm referencing, The Rapture, where he's having all these visions and crazy not craziness, and uh, he's like, no, don't stop the, like, Bashir wants to do surgery on him, and he, and he won't let him. Yeah, I was like, have you lost your damn mind, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that's how I feel when I watch Cisco in these early times. He's just like he he's 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 making all these um excuses for his for like 
the ends justify the means for him. Same with Franklin Jella. Same with um, Kira. All the Pajorans seem to have this mentality that the ends justify the means because they're righteous, you know. And I think that's where the the Cardassians have this, um, you know, they're just the big bad guys, you know, and they were for a long time, but like. They also follow a rule of law, and they also, but even though they were breaking the rule of law here with the whole prison camp, they didn't start the war. They they admitted that Goldilocks comes on and and follows the the correct procedures, you know, which is interesting that the Cardassians do that. Um, but like they, they 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 he seems to need him on Bajor because he needs a u- a united faction. He doesn't like they're too divided on Bajor and it starts with the whole spray painting of the circle in the one part of the station. And he's like ramp up, you know, the security to Odo. There are no more low security areas. Odo. That's where he gets fierce Cisco. He's like, there's no more low security. Everywhere's high security now. Right. So he's like, you know, putting his fist down because he wants to stop spray painters. But then he's, he's willing to say to this guy, this man that was just in a prison of war camp for years Hey, you know, you got to take one for the team and go wave to the people, you know. That's not that bad. You know. Yeah, it's almost like he's almost asking he's asking me to be a figurehead. But instead of okay, and he kind of agrees. He agrees with Cisco to sort of like do this for Bajor to help his people because Cisco convinces him this is what needs to happen. But then they put him in the military. And then they assign him as this liaison officer to D Space 9. Which is definitely not a figure-ahead type role. This is a functional role. Well, he'll have to do a job. Yes. Is that why? Yeah. Why is this yeah. the, what happens? Is this what Jaro yeah. wants, Minister Jaro? Yeah, because he wants to be able to. He wants him not on Bajor, is my guess. And he he does because he would he would uh, affect what the circle. You know, we find out later that he's part of the circle, but um, it will affect the circle. Uh, and their control over Bajor. So if he comes to Bajor, he's going to have way too much effect on the population. So it's just, again, you know, political bureaucrats controlling the population. And that's what Cisco's are trying, attempting to do too. He's trying to control the population and their, their thoughts and their beliefs by making sure lean analysis on Bajor. And so does Kira wants that too. So everything's going on. It's all about control. And, and it, it, it's really for me, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, uh, you know, Cisco, you know, is uncomfortable being the emissary. He's like, you know, like, so a lot of the things just don't align for me. Like, I, I just don't understand, like, why Cisco wants this. Why does he need Linalis on there? Doesn't really make sense to me. Why does Kira need him? And then the whole story about wh- where he explains where he should kill the guy in his underwear. And it's like, it's all a lie. And he's like, he can't do this. He doesn't want to do this. Um, Everything about that, you know really kind of shows like how much Cisco is blinded by his, his blinded by Bajoran politics and Bajoran needs and what Bajor needs and all this kind of stuff, which is very much the, the way Kai Win is, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so for me, it's just like when the Bajoran stuff comes up, I'm just like, Oh, this again, you know, uh, it, there are great Bajoran stories, but I do not enjoy the political stuff. Right. And this is a three-parter. So, Jeff, um, I think we've said a lot about this particular episode as it relates to this story because it goes into the circle next time, which I you know, I know we'll cover then. But it's un- the unusual thing here is that the homecoming, which is this episode, then the circle, then the siege is the three-part arc. 
was was very different for network TV at the time. For like a syndicated product like this, where you know, if you're, yeah, two parter is tough enough, right? For some, because they don't like two parters all the time, because you know the audience is saying, "Oh, I just wanted to catch it," you know, almost like after a soap opera or after school syndication. That's where I watched Star Trek: The Next Generation and D Space Nine was definitely and Voyager. They were all building around that model, that same model that TNG had really done so well, and. Yeah, like to do this was kind of bold, kind of out there. D Space Nine was Iris Stephen Bear, I think, is a guy who likes to be different, right? Yes. You know? Yes. And he says in um, What We Left Behind mm-hmm. that these three episodes were when they kind of figured out that they could do that with this show. Which, if this is what you need to do, like to figure out that you could do like a non serialized version of the show and kind of continue a continuous story, then great. Uh, is this a I growing understand. pain in a step towards that? I think so. It's definitely a growing pain. Um, and I think they wanted to be able to explore characters in different aspects, but not really Cisco. Like, I don't feel like, I feel like they, they, they really wanted to dive deep into Kira and what was going on with Bajor and how it connects to the station and what could eventually happen. What are the, like you said before, like but both entities the bajoran militia and the federation are sharing this station really i mean they the federation are running it but the bajorans own it and you know so like they there there's a lot of um potential for um bureaucratic bullshit you know right. so and, and they but and not, they, it never really pays off a lot like i get you know they try it here and in much like in voyager where they had the starfleet and maquis tension I think that they were you know, that duality to the two crews, the integrated crews, two groups having to work together. I never, it never, it, it works and it doesn't because it's inconsistent. Like it's not the conflicts don't always make sense. Like we saw in the finale in season one here that that assassination attempt on Vedic Barail, and you know it's like for what? Why are you trying to do this? What does Barail represent to you that you hate so much? That's not articulated pretty well and so by today's tv standards doesn't fully hold up and i think also that some of these characters are pretty much looking or they are kind of at least performance wise who they or um who they should be and a lot of and in, in terms of the, their character so i think of like kira like kira feels pretty much like all seasons of kira here like kira is pretty consistent especially in this episode um so far as who she'll like who i think of kira as throughout the whole show uh same thing with odo quark but there are a few others like bashir dax and even cisco they're they're kind of like one-dimensional barely two-dimensional versions of who they we will come to know them as and how they fit in and integrate with this rest of this this cast right Okay, uh, I have a thing here with the Bajorans. I mean, most of the characters that we get, other than Kira, that are Bajoran, um, until we get Lita, most of them don't seem to have like a good, a good heart, a good soul. You know, Kira seems to, and Lita seems to. Am I missing anybody that's Bajoran that really stands uh, out? Kaiopaka, Kaiopaka, and maybe um, the the Vedic Baral. Maybe yeah. like, that's it. You know, everybody else is like vindictive, manipulative. You know, pr- you know, definitely um, uh, lustful for power. You know, a small like, sample size. To be fair, 
It's not we're not talking a lot about a lot of people here, but a lot of characters. True, but most of the other Bajorans we get are uh, what the point I'm trying to make is that most of them are antagonists. You know, the, the we get the odd person that Kira knew in the resistance or the odd war hero like Lee Baralis, uh Lee Nala, sorry. Um we get the odd person like that, but most of them are like religious, you know, extremist or, or they're or, they're fearful or, or they are, you know, bigoted or they're just violent or Whatever, like they've had a rough fifty years uh, on their planet, and I think that that's kind of what they're trying to say is that there are people that, well, they say it right directly in the dialogue, lack strong, lack strong leadership, mm-hmm. don't really know how to live now, which is so weird because they had ten thousand years where they did know how to do things, and they had fifty tough years, granted, but it's not like they erased all the history or just sort of legacy of your people like i just don't think it would you could lose it all like so badly you know because they were a very advanced space-faring race for thousands of years so um but that's definitely what the story is they are almost an immature um uh species right like in terms of yeah they don't seem to be very scientifically advanced even though they've had like a huge huge um advantage of time on um the you know the federation or even yeah, the they've been in space for like thousands of years before humans right so they've yeah. been around but they don't seem that technologically advanced they they use cardassian technology on the station it's not like they replaced everything with bajoran stuff you know uh everything like they don't really have any like they have ships they're those triangle ships right that dock and- yeah they look like little miniature triangle nothings like they, they're very unimpressive looking <laughs> Yeah, very unimpressive. They are, even Cisco says in this episode that a Bajoran ship does not have the maneuverability. Oh no, Kira says that um, to get in and out of there, you need to use a runabout because the defense and the uh, the piloting ability of the runabout is way way better than the Bajorans. So the Bajoran, like they say in this episode, the Federation stuff's better. Um, you know, so like the, there's just a bunch of stuff with the Bajorans. They're just unimpressive, I guess is the, the best word. That you know, like they just seem like a nuisance to the story at this time right now you know like the you know the it gets better i'm not saying it's all bad but they're just like i don't know it's just everything goes into this like antagonist bad guy um religious or political angle yeah like i yeah so i think for the next three weeks we're gonna be definitely having this conversation about the show right just because that's definitely what what this whole story is Bajorids and their pettiness and the bickering and and I the thing I always struggled with in particular was like okay like I get that D Space Nine is in the Bajoran system but it's like a three hour ride it's it's not it's not a quick transporter jump you know you it, you have to actually get in the car and go there um, and like the, I don't know exactly how Cisco is supposed to have so much influence on Bajoran politics and the all like you know like the rebuilding of their planet and all these other things if he's so far away and he's more focused on what's in the gamma quadrant and what's going on yeah. with all that yeah he's more close to the prophets though as well right and they could have like that do you think he's like yeah but i'm closer to the prophets, so it's actually better this is a better place for me to like influence bajoran um development 
I don't think he actually really cares that, like to your point, that much about the Bajoran people and the Bajoran development. Like, like if he had, he probably would have wanted the station. He he, he goes to Bajor Bajor a lot in the future seasons for vacation. He like he goes there to like you know check out a cave with his son or like go on like a sailing trip with with um, Cassidy Yates. Like this is what he's doing. He's not going for like religious purposes most of the time. Am I wrong? <laughs> you know, like no, he, he comes to really like the planet of Bajor and he wants yes. to live there after he's done Starfleet or like that's his adopted planet. Yes, um, I understand that, but he doesn't seem to want to be like this religious figure, like Lee Nallis. Like he's trying to make Lee Nallis. Now he's not trying to make him a religious religious figure, but he's trying to make him like this military like idol, this legend. Maybe this is just Cisco's opportunistic, and he's just trying to get the heat of emissary, especially yes. coming off the last episode, off of him and onto this guy. I I think so, a hundred percent. I think he's trying to make his job easier. But you know? then the Bajorans just put them side by side on the space station that's three hours away. Right, which is kind of like funny to me because, uh, it, yeah, it totally backfired on on Cisco. Like his whole plan was to kind of like, yeah, take that heat off of him. So when ba so Bajor had somebody to rally around, and and I think he knows it needs to be Bajoran, but I don't think it does. I think it could have been him for sure. Uh, he just doesn't want to do it. He's uncomfortable. He says it to Kaiwen in the last episode. I'm uncomfortable in that role or that name, calling me emissary every two seconds. Call me Benjamin, right? So he's trying to like, yeah, take that heat off of him. But I, like I said, I don't think he really, really cares about the Bajoran people's um, hopes and their their well, their the, the sure? hope. It's a little. I don't know. I, if he did, he would go to Bajor more and do more religious stuff and try to unite them. Well, I don't think he wants to be religious, but that's different than like trying to help the planet get, you know, back politically and just in terms of leadership, you know, in the secular space. Which... Okay, that's that's fair. I agree with you. I'm not saying he doesn't care about Bajor at all. I'm saying like what he's trying to accomplish with Lee Nallis in this episode, which is he needs somebody to like unite the people. He could do that. But he doesn't want to do that. Right. Okay. So he's not opportunistic enough, but it's his ethics. He doesn't, you know, and it's also his his knowledge as a Starfleet officer. He's not a believer at this point, right? He he becomes a believer mm -hmm. in the prophet. He comes to embrace the prophets way more. So that's what um, I meant more about what he doesn't care. Maybe he's, he doesn't have that belief. He doesn't have that same faith that Kai Wind does about the prophets and everything else, you know? Not yet, but we'll get there. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I don't know. Uh, you want to do fun facts? Got any fun facts about uh, this episode? Yeah, I got some here. One sec. Okay. So Frank Langella's minister, Jaro Essa, performs in this episode. And he's also in the season. Are um, uncredited at the actor's own request as he did not, uh, as he did the show for his children, not for exposure or money. He, he, did, he did this for his children? Yeah, he didn't do it for money or exposure. I'm, I'm okay, sure. So if it had just been sure, some yeah. gener some generic like guest star that they had got him, his kids put... must have loved TNG. Be my guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and they asked him to do it type thing. They're like, you should do Star Trek, Daddy, and that's probably what happened. Um, okay, the seventy six rule of acquisition is mentioned in this episode. Do you remember what it was? Uh, six for you, one for me. Was it that? 
No, that, that <laughs> we didn't even mention that, that scene. Why is it always six for you and one for me? Seven for you and one for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's every once in a while, declare peace. It confuses the hell out of your enemies. Oh, okay. That, that's, what's, that's what uh, Quark's doing. He's doing misdirect. Yeah. He's like, just randomly, I will F with uh, Odo this week just to, in the long game, I'm, I'm winning. Yeah, which which makes their relationship fun. You're always uh, up to something. Yeah, and he is. Uh, the scenes in the labor camp on Cardassia 4 were shot in Soledad Canyon, north of Los Angeles. So it wasn't U70, it was wrong. Right. It didn't look nice. Uh, Jamil saying, Cisco trying to keep separate from getting too involved with Bajor. Attempt not to get too involved where he is at odds with um changing. changing the culture too much right so he it's prime directive too right you gotta remember he's a starfleet officer those things are still in his head but right and yet, but he has a mission his, his mission's almost in conflict with the prime directive in some ways yeah for sure and it, it's like what is more important to him being a starfleet officer being the emissary he hasn't decided that yet it seems like exploring know. the gamma quadrant uh hmm. looking at those issues or is it about more about the planet Especially when the Dominion thing will kick up later on, like he ha he has even less time to kind of worry about what's going on with Bajor. Oh yeah, like yeah, Bajor becomes like fifth burner by the time <laughs> by, by the time it's the on Dominion. the hot plate we put, throw it on the extra hot plate there. We don't have enough burners for this. I mean that's a good um, that's a good analysis uh, analogy because uh, the Cisco's are all about cooking. Yeah. Uh, the okay. Uh, beginning with this episode, Dave, Mark Alimro is, is credited with his character's name. So, like, Mark Alimro as Goldicott. Oh, that's so the that's thing? A, that's a big this thing. Is, this, is, yeah, this is the first time they did that. Okay. Um, so, they knew he was going to be recurring, I think, for all. Okay. So, yeah, they brought him back for the, it was the, just the finale, right? He was in, he had, he had, again, he was on, I'm just on the, the Skype call. I'm on the little monitor in Cisco's yeah. office. He, did, he can't even get a big screen to talk to to uh, Goldicott on. He can't. He has to talk on a little laptop. They, yeah, they do that a lot on Tuesdays Night, where they just have the little screen, and Cisco goes over to the wall. And yeah, he goes, <laughs> he presses the button, and it turns, you know, and you're like, yeah, uh, for sure. Why? Uh, okay, yeah, like we already mentioned, um, that this is like the first three parter, but um, there would there wouldn't be another one until Enterprise did it. Um, when they did Borderland, which aired almost 11 years later. What was that? Borderland? Yeah, Enterprise did a three-parter called Borderland. Uh, Enterprise, okay. Well, we'll get to that later. Yeah. <laughs> or we just won't. Uh, uh, Dr. Bashir is revealed to be keen on military strategy because it, it served the plot. Okay. Uh <laughs> Yeah, well, who else is gonna have that conversation? Yeah, Leslie Bevis makes her first appearance as Rianoj, the Boslik freighter captain. In this episode, <laughs> she later appears in the season three episode "The Abandoned" and the season four finale "Broken Link," where her character is named. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, I know I'd seen her somewhere. Yeah, she was somewhat familiar. I was like, who is this? John Fleck, while uncredited, plays the Cardassian overseer. 
but the character was given a name in the official Star Trek customizable card collection, Dave. Dakul. There you go. Is that canon, the customizable card game? I guess so. You used to have that card game, didn't you? I did. I played that back. Like, when I was, yeah, that's, the, that's in the peak days, Jeff. That's back in the day. When, back. John Fleck also played Orenthar in DS9, The Search Part 1, and K- Koval in DS9, Inter Arma Enum Silent Legis, and Aban- Abaddon in Voyager's Alice, as well as Silic in seven episodes of Enterprise. So he got around. Yeah, good character actor. Michael Bell has portrayed Zorn in Star Trek Encounter of Farpoint, Borum in this episode, and Drafo Awar in Deuce Sign the Maquis Part 2. Yeah, they spent most of the money in this, uh, you know, probably on location to do out there in that California desert or whatever. So this place takes in 2370. So we are now a year later than season one because every other episode was 2369. So we're in this where we've moved into 2370. That's right. We're in the 70s. Woo. And, the but they still game. have the round communicator. That won't last very long. It's longer. So, <laughs> so I, I, I understand why they changed this. In the shooting script, Cisco refers to Sandy Koufax rather than Bob Gibson, as in the aired episode. Now, do you know why they probably did that? No. Because Sandy Koufax was not the, the kindest <laughs> you know, guy. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, anyway. From this episode, uh, oh, this is an important one, Dave. From this episode, Sirak Lofton is dubbed by Julian Hajej in the German version. Okay, I don't German German version. That's not a fun fact. That's I don't follow the German dubbings of D Space Nine. Of only Sirik Lofton. Only Sirik Lofton. Whoever is covering Sirik Lofton in all seven seasons of D Space Nine with the as he goes through puberty and his voice changes. Okay, so it appears that the replicators in the food replicate might be specialized in what they can replicate. Cisco orders Arachtogeno at one replicate, and then he goes to another and orders like some sort of icicle tort. Remember that? I do. I, I was thinking about that. I was like, yeah, why Why are the two replicators? One's a drink replicator and one's a food replicator? I think so. Or is he just weird and he likes to get his things from different stalls? Is that more the plausible answer? It's it's possible. I would like he, to know. Jamil agrees. You should watch DS9 in the original German. <laughs> the Cardassians are extra German. <laughs> uh, okay, and finally, a jacket worn by Richard Beimer, who played uh, Lee Nallis in this episode, and this episode was sold at an online auction. And that's it. Not much fun facts going on on this episode, Dave. It's not too. Well, it's, you know, some fun in there. Okay. So, Jeff, we've talked about the homecoming. We're going to get into the circle next week and then eventually into the siege. And then down the stretch is invasive procedures, which will be back to sort of more episodic, um, which I don't remember. So we'll talk about that as it comes. Um, so thanks for watching and listening, everybody, here on our Star Trek Deep Space Nine uh, recap uh, as we continue this through. And this we're into the second season, so I think it's we said in another six months we'll be able to be done this season. Move on to season three, which, uh, you know, and it's 
as what's, what's great with Deep Space Nine is it only gets better with time. It's it, you know, or as the episodes progress in a lot of ways. It's a fine wine. It's a fine Bajoran wine. Yeah, it's got that finish. It's got that smooth finish. Uh, it's spring it's Bajoran spring wine. I think that's a thing. Okay, so um, thank you for listening again, and check out our other podcasts. We do uh, Super Mater Brothers podcasting where we cover Big Brother three times a week with our co-host Jamil Robinson, who couldn't. Uh, be on the air tonight because he's having some issues but he was commenting of course uh, and uh, following along so we're hoping he'll be with us tomorrow night as well as back here on D Space 9 next week uh, tomorrow we'll also be doing original series rewatch as we're covering an episode of the original series Jeff I have never seen I've never heard of I have no idea what this is uh, it's, a, it's all new territory uh, have you ever heard of an episode called and we're just waiting for the thing to come up. Uh, for the world is hollow, and I have touched the sky. Mm, no, I'd have to watch it again. I have no idea what this episode is. I looked at the preview, no idea. So I'm excited to watch something I've never seen before uh, for tomorrow night. And then we'll be on uh, for the veto episode on Big Brother. And then on Thursday, we'll be uh, here on Live Long and Podcast. We'll be covering Star Trek Lower Decks after that episode airs. And we'll all on, and we'll be doing the eviction episode on uh, Super Mater Brothers. And Friday night we are doing Star Trek Radio Theater as we will be going back to the originals. Uh, sorry, no, to well, to the one we we've done first in the the Next Generation. Uh, this just came out a little bit earlier today. I just want to bring that in here. Let's just show that. It's just loading, um, and. There it goes. We are doing Tapestry from the Next Generation's um, sixth season, the 15th episode. If you can see that there. Let's take a look at that logo. Uh, so this is the one where, where it's kind of like a wonderful life in space, if you will. It's uh, the episode where Jean-Luc Picard gets a chance to sort of undo this mistake from his past where he got into a bar fight with some, some aliens, uh, some Nausicans and got his heart impaled and he kind of learned to be more responsible but he was kind of regretted that and so he gets another chance at that and we see the consequences of how that play out jeff's gonna be playing picard himself yep Tom john and i'll be playing Tom. the nausicans i well, there's only one nausican that talks but i have to invoke the physicality of all three in the much in the, the bar fights in so, the bar fight yes so uh, um, i'm not sure how i'm gonna do picard yet but i might use the aka johnny as inspiration i don't know yet though yeah you see oh yeah so i I put their little like titles because it um when he gets to go back he's with his best friends which is it's very like harry potter there's like harry there's there's um uh he's harry potter in john luke picard he's johnny and then we got uh his best friend Corey, and then his other best friend marty and that they're kind of like ron and hermione a little bit uh along this ride it's they're taking on these nausicans which are kind of like the death eaters well this is all working out so well J.K. Rowling ripped this episode off. That's what happened. What came first? I think she was already doing um, Harry Potter books by then, right? No. When did uh, she 93. Yeah, when's the first Harry Potter book? We'd have to look that up. The first but, one came out in like 99, but when she started writing them, I don't know. Yeah, so she might have seen this episode, Jeff, and wrote in Harry Potter based on this. Who knows? Who's to say? Um, and I'm also going to be playing Commander Will Riker again, which I'm excited about, and then Dr. Beverly Crusher. And Kevin Millard's gonna be playing Q. Ashley Millard playing Counselor Deanna Troy. 
um, Michael Chan playing uh, Marty. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try to say the last name, Batonides, and as well as Data. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So make sure to check that out on Friday night. And uh, we also have our other channels, uh, Super Mater Brothers Podcasting. Oh, what am I doing? Um, no, I already said that. Uh, Trivial Debates is the other one. Sorry. It's been a long one. Okay. So uh, check out Trivial Debates. We just had a, a monthly episode, and we'll be coming back next month for our next one. Anyway, so thanks for watching, everybody listening. Live long in podcast, and we'll see you next time. Take care. Oh, thank you.